Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where jiu-jitsu practitioners open their minds to new ideas and concepts about personal development, entrepreneurship, jiu-jitsu, and life. Our mission is to inspire, impact, and or improve your life in some way to support you during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today you have Henry Aikens. Henry has been training jiu-jitsu since 1995 with Master Hicks and Gracie, and he got his black belt in 2004, becoming the third American to receive a black belt under Master Hickson. He is currently sharing his knowledge via his website, Hidden Jiu-Jitsu, and his YouTube channel, Hidden Jiu-Jitsu, where he recently started Matt Chats, in which Henry hopes to share with viewers the soul of jiu-jitsu. Henry, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so you're saying that you've been living in Las Vegas. We're recording this in July of 2021. So we've been living there. That was last year, you said, in 2020, right? Yeah, we. Um, I think it was the summer of 2019. So right before oh, oh, kind okay, of the before. pandemic. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, which was, uh, we were really fortunate um, to just move out here, uh, you know, the cost of living is so much cheaper than, than, than Santa Monica. And so, especially with the world going crazy, everything going crazy and, and riots and stuff breaking out, uh, we looking back now, it was definitely the right choice and really, really fortunate. We made that move at the right time. And it's crazy that I mentioned to you that, um, I moved to the U S I went to Vegas state for about two years in 1999 with John Lewis. And back then I believe there were two, maybe three schools in the whole Valley. You know, yeah. it's just crazy. And now it's like, like everywhere, right? It's crazy, man. There's so many schools like it, because I'm still, you know, everything was shut down for the last year and a half. So I wasn't really leaving the house much driving around, but now that things are open back up, driving around, just going places, I see jujitsu schools all over the place. I'm like, man, I wonder who's teaching that. I wonder who's teaching there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's crazy how much it's, it's grown, you know, and back in the day, um, the jiu-jitsu community was so small, you knew everybody, Yeah. right? You knew, oh, that's that person's school, that's that person's school, that's, and now there's so many black belts, um, you know, the community has just grown so much, it's it's pretty awesome to see. Yeah, it's interesting, like, uh, back in the day, I used to have a, a student that's moving to a certain state, they tell me the state, it'll be like, oh, you know, check out this person now, I said, like, man, I don't know. Just go, just Google. Get the top three that you know. You know that is, cl- you know, that's closest by. Send me, and maybe I know. You know, yeah. like, you know, chances are, it'd be like I've never heard, but sometimes, like, oh, okay, this is affiliated with someone, but yeah, but I barely know. Yeah, so, that's me too. I'm like an affiliate of an affiliate, or you know who they yeah. got their black belt from, right? Mm-hmm. All right, so tell us how martial arts got into your life. You know, did you train? Did you have a chance to train anything? before uh you got to train jiu-jitsu so yeah so um, yeah I always loved martial arts since I was growing up as a kid you know I used to my mom used to leave me at home on on the weekends uh and we'd watch me and my brothers I had two brothers an older brother younger brother we'd sit at home and watch kung fu theater all day you know and it'd be cool just to watch all these guys uh fighting and so uh in high school I started doing taekwondo uh when I was 14 and um, was really, really committed, really, really dedicated to that. But uh, I grew up in Oklahoma. 
and Oklahoma is a huge wrestling state. And so uh, just seeing fights happen at school and seeing how effective wrestling was, I always wanted to find a martial art that was grappling based because I, I started to see and understand how effective grappling was, especially in one-on-one -on -one fights. Um, and so, yeah, that's what kind of led me to jujitsu, you know, before the UFC, I saw an old grainy VHS tape, uh, before the first UFC, old grainy VHS tape of, uh, Gracie in action. Um, I don't even know if people have even, uh, you know, the modern people have even seen those, but that was life-changing for me watching racing action one and two. It was like a v on a VHS tape and it was a copy of a copy of a copy. Mm -hmm. So it was really like grainy, you know, someone dubbed it and then uh, handed it to someone else who dubbed it. And uh, man, I must've watched that, those tapes probably 10, 15 times. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, they announced that the UFC and Hoist Gracie was going to be fighting. And I was like, okay, I knew right away. I was like, this guy's going to win the whole thing. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what got me into jujitsu is just growing up in Oklahoma and um, just, you know, wanting to find a martial art. I always loved martial arts, but I wanted to find a martial art that was grappling based. Yeah. It, it's so crazy to see, like, I, I remember I was, I started training in 1989. So it was before you've seen before the big challenge in Rio in 91, because I felt that that was around that time the jujitsu started really, because you just wasn't as popular as people think that um, was almost like a, a best kept secret in a way. It wasn't like media and everyone knew, even if you're a Brazilian, you know, 91 yeah. after the Valituro Jiu-Jitsu Talifu really got, yes, because it showed a global uh, famous channel in Brazil. And that recording, I watched that way more than 15 times and i'd be like oh my god i got you know i still have the tape is all jacked up you know it doesn't play well but that thing uh, i remember that it was by my house i tried to get in and um into the van i couldn't get in it was just completely sold out and then at the end of the night they showed us uh the fights you know the three fights and next day you just you started to like people like you know news and people start to get more and then 93 uh, when happened uh, with Hoist, that was really cool. That when the word going went around, like, "Hey, Hoist uh, going to be fighting this," and it took like a couple weeks until people even find out the results. You know, like what happened, they don't know. And then a few weeks later, the same thing. The VHS came around, it and the copy of the copy of the copy, yeah. you know, it's, it started going around, and everything started to change. So when so in '95, you went to LA. That's when you start training. Right. 94, I went to LA and, uh, I was just on, it was, it was like a spring break or, uh, it was, it was, you know, during a break from school. And I specifically went to find Hickson to try to train at the school. So, uh, I was able to find it. It was a little bit of a difficult, uh, to find it because back then there was no internet, right. You're, you're yeah. looking through the yellow pages and, um, I don't even remember if their, their name was in the yellow pages or not. Uh, we end up calling the the Torrance Academy, and at the time Hickson had just split off and started his own school, mm -hmm. and so when I called the Torrance Academy, they said they didn't know of anybody named Hickson. Uh, so I end up finding a, the school, trained there for a week, and uh, you know, like most people's experience in jiu-jitsu, um, I was working out all the time. I thought I was pretty tough. I you know very physical, and uh, I got my butt kicked so bad. I got just 
destroyed for the whole week, uh, worse than I've ever been before in my life. And at the end of the week, I said, this is it. I found it and this is uh, what I need to do. And I you know, uh, just started putting a plan into action of how I was gonna move out to LA to be able to train. So back then, how was it, um, if you try, it's tough for you to go back, you know, to like a day one or because you just, you just leave trying to figure like what just happened, you know? So it was, how was back then? It was intense or it was kind of like just a lot of rolling and just getting submitted or you just so like I'll, practice? I'll tell moves? you, the, um, the first time I walked into the school, um, there were two purple belts training and I saw one guy get put to sleep unconscious. And then, you know, they lift the legs, they lift <laughs> yeah, the ankles yeah, up and start shaking the legs, trying to get blood flow back. And I looked at my friend. So I went there uh, with a good buddy of mine. We went out on spring break together to train and I looked at him and I'm like, we're in the right place, you know, <laughs> like we found it. Right. Um, but back then, yeah, the, the training was uh, much more physical. You know, it was much more physical. It was much harder. Uh, the mindset for training was was much different too, because a lot, a lot of people don't realize back then jujitsu was still trying to prove itself, right? And so we were training when I started training. So I started training the summer of '95. Um, back then, we would train no gi all summer. There wasn't as much competitions and tournaments as there uh, as there is now. And so during the summers, we would take the geese off and we would train with strikes. And the mindset was always, we have to train jujitsu to see if we can beat all the other martial arts. So that was kind of the, the mindset back then. Um, and it was very, very physical. It was very tough, you know, because we were training for fighting. I, I had an opportunity to interview Master Fabio Bugel, for people who don't know, one of the head coaches and founders of Alliance. Mm -hmm. And he used a terminology that, is, that I, I found so accurate. He said, like, if anyone that trains still have jiu-jitsu in their lives, not, not teach or anything, but you still train jiu-jitsu and you train in the 90s, you're part of a, a, the select group of the survivors. You know what I mean? Because most people come in and be like, oh, screw that. You know, like that's no, you know, because you get beat up. And that's like you said, that's the vibe it was back then. So if you really like start in the nights you kept doing, you're one of the survivors because it was at least in Brazil, everything, especially when 93, that's when tournaments start to get when they had the first uh Brazilian nationals and then 94 CBJJ was founded but then everything was tournaments everything was just training for tournaments com compete so super intense so whether you're in class whether you want to compete or not you're like you're in class you know you're competing in this and that and then there's the turnover was so so big because people just you know it's not like today okay we have uh, fundamentals class there's no such a things here's a gi you know and go so you were basically thrown into the wolves. Yep. Yeah. And the training was very intense, very hard. And I remember going to Brazil, uh, like 90, when was it? 96, 97. And, you know, all the guys had patches all over their geese, sponsors everywhere. So I, I remember how big it had gotten in Brazil and it was so tournament based competitions all the time, all the time. So, so uh, when was a time that you realized, you know what, I think I'm going to pursue this here and this going to pursue us even professionally? 
Well, I, I had kind of made that decision when I moved to LA, right? Um, I was still going to school at the time, but I knew that that's what I wanted to dedicate myself to. You know, I left my family, left all my friends, left my girlfriend behind um, to, to be able to go train. And so, you know, my, my dad told me a long time ago, he, he said, for your career, you know, in life, um, either figure out something that you love to do. And that way, you know, if you make money, in it, that's just a bonus, you're happy, or figure out something where you're going to make a ton of money. And that way you have the time to do the things that you love. And so I figured, you know, I, I love doing jujitsu. I love training. And so hopefully one day I'll be able to make a career out of it. So that was kind of always the thought, like, let me just train, let me get as good as I can. And hopefully one day, you know, I'll be able to, to make some money doing it. And, um, you know, back then just being a young kid, I lived very modestly, you know, we were living in a three bedroom apartment and I had like at any given time, four or five roommates, um, living in LA cause it was so expensive. Uh, so, you know, I was, I was very, very content, not making, uh, very much money at all. I was living, you know, very modestly and just training all day. And when the idea came for you to start branding hidden jujitsu, the concept, can you expand on the concept for us? Yeah, sure. Um, so it was around probably 2000, 2000, I think 14. 2013 or 2014, um, I had already started teaching seminars at different schools. Um, I started traveling, teaching seminars. And what I noticed was that, you know, I was very kind of naive in thinking that the jujitsu that I was learning from Hickson was the same jujitsu that's being taught everywhere else, you know, because I had only, I had gone from white belt to black belt under Hicks and I never trained with anybody else. And back then, as you know, um, it was kind of really frowned upon to go train at other schools. I had, I had friends at all these other schools, but I was not, not really, I don't want to say not allowed, but it was very frowned upon to go train. You know, we had that, that term crayonchi, right. Which means traitor. And so um, I was just very, very naive thinking that, man, everybody's learning the basics and the fundamentals the same way I am. And as I started traveling around teaching, what I started to realize is, wow, man, there are very, very different styles of jujitsu and very different ways of uh, applying and teaching the basics and the fundamentals. And I think one of the things now that looking back, I, I realize is that that's the reason why Hickson was so good is because of the little details in the techniques that he does differently. And so um, that's really what hidden jiu-jitsu is about. Hidden jiu-jitsu is really about teaching the little subtleties in jiu-jitsu that make it work like magic. You know, Hickson was such an innovator. He was so, he was like a, a jiu-jitsu scientist. Um, you know, all of his energy, all of his focus, all of his time went into thinking about training jiu-jitsu to be able to get to the level that he, he was. Um, and so he changed and adapted so much of jiu-jitsu. You know, he made so many improvements um, to the techniques himself. Um, I saw, you know, even during the 15 years I was training, he was constantly evolving the techniques, constantly improving the technique, constantly seeing how he can do things better, constantly seeing, oh, you know, if I do it this way, the guy can get out. So let me see how I can change the technique. So now they can't use this escape or that escape, 
right? Or change the technique so it uses less energy or less strength. Or how do we incorporate the body more into the movement instead of using strength? So he was constantly innovating. And so it was really those kind of little details that I felt made his jujitsu so special and jujitsu in general, right? Um, I think the first time a lot of people feel jujitsu, it feels like magic to them. So it's really teaching people those details, those kind of, uh, that I say, hidden details, because a lot of times, if it's not really pointed out, it's really difficult to see the little nuances. Sometimes like moving, just moving your elbow, your arm an inch or two inches makes a difference between whether you can apply a technique or, or you can't, or whether it feels easy or it requires a lot of strength. So what is one of your favorite concepts to share, regardless of the belt? You're going to a seminar, there's white belts, there's black belts. So what is the one concept that you're very passionate about sharing? Um, one of the biggest ones is, is just weight distribution, understanding how to use your weight effectively. Um, especially nowadays, I think guys are so athletic. Uh, what you see a lot of, in jiu-jitsu is a ton of movement, which requires a lot of athleticism, a lot of strength, a lot of endurance, you know? Um, and that was, uh, I think a lot of people um, say that was one of Hickson's biggest contributions to jujitsu is understanding how to use his weight effectively. So with weight distribution, what it allows you to do is it allows you to create pressure on your opponent without using strength. And when you understand how to use your weight distribution, what happens is it slows people down. It slows down the movement and it makes it so that every time your opponent wants to move, they have to move more of your weight. So every movement becomes harder for them. So it's like almost like swimming in quicksand, right? And so that, um, just that one concept in itself has a dramatic effect on, on people's uh, ability to move, um, the speed at which they move and how quickly they get tired. And as you know, you know, all of the best fighters in the world, what happens to all of them, as soon as they start to get tired, their performance level drops. Right. And uh, so that's what it does. It's that's one of the things I had to I share this story all the time, but um, it was around 2000. Hickson was about 40 years old. He hadn't trained in nine months. He had a groin injury. He was getting ready to compete in the Coliseum and he was trying to let his groin rest and heal up so that he could fight. And we had a world champion come in, two time world champion come in and um, trained with Hickson. Hickson came in and taught the class. He wasn't going to train that night. He came in and taught the class. And there was about 40 of us there on the mats. And at the end of the class, he puts everyone to train. And uh, the champion asked Hickson if he wanted to train. So they started training and the mat cleared off. And so uh, they're going back and forth, back and forth, at a really fast pace. And after a few minutes, Hickson catches them with an arm lock. And then um, they start going again. And after a couple more minutes, uh, he tapped. And I was like, what, what happened? And I was asking my buddy that I was sitting, we were sitting against the wall and I asked him, I said, hey, did you see what he caught him with? And he's like, no, I didn't see it. So after, after the training, I went up and asked Hickson. I said, hey, Hicks, you know, I didn't see, what, what did you catch him with that last time? He said, oh, he tapped the pressure. And I was like, what? He was like, yeah, he tapped the pressure. He said, I knew he was gonna come at me hard and I haven't trained in nine months. And my groin hurt, so I just made him carry my weight the whole time. And once he started getting tired, I just kept the pressure on him, and you know that's what what did it. So um, that's the other thing with understanding weight distribution and pressure. You can make it very difficult for your opponent to breathe, which is like another. It's a form of asphyxiation, you know. 
so that was a huge uh, turning point in my jujitsu career. I was like, wow, I have to learn how to do this. I have to learn, especially as we get older and our physicality decreases. If you still know how to use your weight, a lot of times our metabolism slows down and weight goes up, right? So if you know how to use your weight, if you understand how to use weight distribution, you can kind of balance the level out the playing field. So the guys that are really fast, really athletic, you let them move, but you use your weight, make them carry your weight, then they get tired much quicker. What are some of the practitioners that have you, have you noticed, or maybe you have a train to train with, besides, of course, Hickson, could it be, maybe you didn't train, but observing and studying was some names that maybe come to your mind as far as like keeping that basic, uh, the, the solid foundation weight distribution, some of the things, some of the concepts that you learn, it would be like, huh, I can see this being applied there. Any, anyone that comes to your mind? Um, Hodger, I think is, is a great example. Yeah. You know, he's so, uh, so good at the fundamentals, so good at the basics. He's so good at, at, at pressure and using his weight. Um, he's kind of one of the main guys that I, that I always think of. Um, I think uh, Salo, Hibero, yeah, who spent quite a bit of time training with Hickson. He's an absolute beast, and um, you know his uh, ability to create and put pressure to is you know insane, legendary. So um, I think those guys are are you know two of the guys that I kind of saw as I was coming up that were really uh, applying those principles. Now let's talk a little bit about business. And it's interesting because anyone, I mean, starting in the 90s, it's not like you, someone start right now and they see people with schools and affiliations and online sites and, you, you know, and gear. There's so many things you can capitalize on in entrepreneurship and jujitsu. But in the 90s, of course, there, you know, there's, that is not around. So around what time uh, in, in your journey, it kind of like click, you know, the entrepreneurial side of it. Like now, you know, of course you have, you know, all the, the YouTube and platforms and stuff, but when did you notice like, okay, it's time to step up my entrepreneurial uh, game? Um, yeah, man. It, it, in, in 2010 uh, is when I kind of made the transition to opening up my own school. And what had happened was uh, I had been teaching for Hickson for, for 10 years. Um, and in 2008, 2009, Hickson had moved back to Brazil and Crone wanted to take over the school. So I, I had, for all those years, while I was teaching jujitsu at Hickson's, I was also working uh, in nightclubs um, because that was just a schedule. I'd been working at nightclubs for, you know, probably about 15 years, um, just doing security and bouncing. And that was just a schedule that worked really well with my training where, you know, I could train all day and then I would go in at night and, and work and to make money. And so, um, I was 36 at the time. And I said, you know what, I'm, I'm getting closer to 40 and it's probably time for me to make the transition. I didn't want to work at nights anymore. And it's, it's a little bit of a rough schedule, yeah. you know, because you're, you don't get home till three or four in the morning, you go to sleep and then you wake up late. So, um, I decided, you know, it was time for me to open up my own school. And so I did that in 2010. I started a gym called Dynamics Martial Arts with a good friend of mine, Anthony Hardonk, who uh, is a K-1 fighter, fought in K-1, and then fought in the UFC. 
and another uh, friend of mine, Vladimir Matyushenko, who is a six-time Soviet national champion uh, for wrestling. Uh, he also fought many years in the UFC and yeah. fought, you know, in other um, events, Bellator and, you know. Uh, so I opened up the school with those guys. Um, and around that same time, uh, I got a call from a guy who is a friend of mine now, a guy named Scott Smith, who has a school in Kentucky. And he's under Pedro Sauer. So what happened was there was a lot of guys that were basically had joined Pedro Sauer's association because at the time, at that time, Hickson's Hickson had an association back in the day, but it kind of fell apart uh, after his son passed away. So a lot of people were going underneath Pedro. A lot of the guys that were underneath Pedro were really looking to learn Hickson's jujitsu. So the guy reached out to me, had heard that I understand and know and teach Hickson's jiu-jitsu pretty well. I'd been teaching at his school for 10 years. Uh, and so asked me to come out and do a seminar. And that's kind of where I started really going out and teaching seminars. I taught at his school. Um, he was absolutely blown away by what I showed him. And he'd been, he was already, I think, a first degree or second degree black belt. He was blown away. Uh, and he invited me to come back out six months later. And when I came back out six months later, he invited a bunch of other black belts. He's like, you guys got to check this out. Got to see this, what he's teaching. So that's kind of how uh, my seminar things got started. It was kind of very just word of mouth. You know, those black belts that showed up to the next seminar after I taught there, they're like, oh man, I have a school here. I have a school here. you got to come out to my school and teach. So after I started teaching these seminars, I was like, wow, man, this is really crazy because I was teaching stuff like an Americana, uh, how to maintain the mount, how to keep posture in the guard, uh, how to do a scissor. I was teaching these very, you know, I call them white belt techniques, right? These are techniques that we all learn as a white belt, but there were little nuances that these guys that have been doing jujitsu for 15 years had never seen before. And it made the world of difference to them. They were actually able to appreciate it more than the lower belts because they had been doing it a different way for so long. And as soon as I showed them these little details, they're like, oh, that's why it never works. Or that's why the guys can defend it so easier. This, So it made a huge impact for them. And so um, I started teaching these seminars. And at that time, Hickson wasn't teaching any longer. He wasn't, he didn't have a school and he was living back in Brazil. Um, he wasn't doing any seminars. He wasn't doing anything. And I was thinking, man, all of this jujitsu that he, that I learned is going to be lost if I don't expose it to a bigger audience. So in 2013, 2014, that's when I decided to start uh, hidden jujitsu, the online site to be able to really just share his jujitsu with the world because so many people were looking for it. You know, so many people had heard the legends of how good he was. And um, it's not just because of his athleticism, the way that he, his technique is different, different than everybody else's. Mm -hmm. Now, still talking about business. So let's say it's 2013, 14, developing this, the, the website and traveling, doing all that stuff. So what one of the biggest struggles and difficulties that you went through, like running your business that you did, you had no idea before, besides the technical aspect and it's always evolving. So what are some of the difficulties that you found and how did you overcome? 
Gosh, uh, I mean, one of the biggest difficulties, I, I think in starting a school that, you know, I didn't realize at all. Uh, I, it was, I was under the assumption that if you're a good teacher, you know, and you, you, you know, you're good at teaching you too, you're going to be able to have a successful school, right? Yep. And uh, that is not it at all, right? You, you have to be a good business person to be able to have a successful school. And so I really had to throw myself and start learning really business, uh, marketing, sales, which for me is really difficult for me. I don't tend to like that. And so even though I started having to learn it, what I also tried to seek out is someone that enjoyed that and understood that really well and brought them into the business. And, you know, I was happy to give them a share. So we've always had kind of a, a, a business manager so that I can focus on doing what I love. Because at the end of the day, that was what was really important for me that, um, that I love what I do. You know, I didn't want to put focus my energy and commit my energy into doing stuff, even though like understanding the marketing and sales and, and student retention, that stuff is crucial for a business, but that's not really what I enjoyed. And so that was strength. Yeah. So that was it. That was a huge thing, you know, just really understanding, like we, we struggled for a good, I mean, the, when I started my school, I didn't get paid for a year. I didn't take a, a salary for a year. Um, you know, the only thing I was getting was paid for my privates, but from the group classes, I never made any money uh, for the first year just to get the business going and just to start off. And so I, you know, as I started learning more about it, talking more about it, going to uh, different courses about how to run a martial arts school, you really learn that, man, all of these other elements, there's so many different aspects that are really, really important. So we have a lot of people who are listening. I mean, it's dedicated to entrepreneurs, business owners, high performers. And of course you have people that they're not, but they enjoy the content. So now, since we have a lot of people who are in transition, just starting their business, starting their entrepreneurial journey. So what kind of piece of advice, maybe a content, anything that for someone who's starting, maybe starting a jujitsu school, starting maybe an online project, like a concept that it works regardless. What comes to your mind when you think about a content for someone that's starting entrepreneurship? Um. Gosh, you know what, for, for me, what, I, what I've really tried to do is, is what made me passionate about jujitsu is the teaching and the training. Training first, and then I really started to love teaching. I really started to love giving back and, and sharing, you know, sharing what I've learned. Um, and a big part of my success comes from my passion, you know, being still passionate about what I do. And so for me, what I've really learned to do is focus on doing what I love. So for example, I have a couple different businesses. I, I do private lessons, right? Um, seminars all over the world. Uh, and then I do camps also. So I do retreats. Um, usually I do two to three a year. Uh, and then I do my website. And with the website, I have a business partner that handles all of the backend stuff, handles all the customer service, sees it. So I get to focus on just producing the content of, mm -hmm. I get to focus on teaching. And that's the same thing with all my other businesses, the seminars, you know, I get to focus on just showing up and teaching at the camps. I have someone else that helps arrange everything and organize everything so I can do what I love. I show up and teach. And that's what really 
allows me to stay motivated and inspired, you know, is finding good people around me that can handle the other responsibilities because it's so difficult to do it all by yourself, right? It's very difficult for anyone to have success by themselves. You need to have good people around you that you trust to, to be able to help. Mm -hmm. And what did you say is one habit that you have that you practice daily that is a big part of your life? It helps in everything, it helps in jujitsu, helps in business, something to practice. It doesn't have to be anything crazy, just simple habits, just like, yeah, I just, I just did this every day. Simple habits. Um, gosh, my... Like, yeah, for example, when you say a habit, uh, one habit that I can even say it's like sleeping and people are like, oh, come on, sleep. Like, no, 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 no. Uh, there's times in my life that I was not aware of my sleep as much as I should. You end up putting a lot of hours. You got a project, you get excited. Next thing, working hours, hours, hours. You go to bed late, wake up um, early, and then you're dragging. So it became a habit for me to be like, all right, this is your cutoff, you know, like by this time you need to go to bed because you know that like after that, you're going to drag next day. It's not going to be as efficient. So this is like, man, you sleeping as a habit. Well, like controlling the hours, how you sleep, it's going to affect everything you do. Yeah. Um, you know, when you asked me that question, the, one of the first things that came to mind was just that, uh, especially recently, I've been trying to teach myself not to take things so seriously, not to make such a big deal out of things because it's so easy for me. Um, I'm a perfectionist and I tend to stress myself out a lot. I tend to put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, and at the end of the day, what I'm constantly reminding myself is like, hey, you know, just do this. And if I do it, if I mess up, it can be fixed and everything can be, you know, I think life is a constant learning process yeah. and it's a journey and it doesn't have to be perfect on day one. Right. Um, so that was for me, man, I always wanted everything to be perfect. I always wanted to do the best at whatever it is I was doing. And I would get really frustrated and upset. And what I realized is that was affecting my happiness. Mm -hmm. And so um, learning not to make do what I love create so much stress in my life. Right. Got it. So that's it. Now, changing subjects. Do you have, well, for sure you do, see if you remember any interesting stories of that if you watch um, Hicks and maybe training or performing, or it could be something funny, could it be something shocking, like things that, you know, you've seen, you're like, wow, you know, um, just got your attention some, somehow. Yeah, I mean, well, you, you mentioned Fabio Gugel earlier, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so the first time I saw Hicks in training with Fabio Gugel, um, gosh, I think Fabio was just 25 at the time. He was already a multiple time world champion. And, uh, he came down, I think he was getting ready to fight. Was it, um, was it Mark Kerr or is it Tom Erickson? It was one of those, one of those guys, big wrestlers. Um, you know, just seeing Hickson training with Fabio and, Literally, he was, and Fabio even mentions this. I, I, I wouldn't say it if Fabio hadn't mentioned it, but he was teaching Fabio like he was a white belt almost, 
you know, he was able to do stuff to him. Like that was the first time I ever got an idea because everyone had been talking about Fabio Grigel is amazing. Like he's, you know, the world champion, current world champion. He's destroying everybody. Like he's one of the best guys in the world. And then to see Hickson train with him and just completely kind of do, do to him like what I felt like a black belt does to white belts, that was really kind of showed me, wow, there's, there's just levels to the game. You know, there's black belts and then there's Hickson, you know, there's the black belts, the number one guy, the two guy, and then there's like Hickson's all the way up here. That was kind of one of the first times I, I really saw the difference in level between, uh, you know, just the world champions and, and, and Hickson, who was just on a different level. And I, you know, I, I, when I tell that story, it's funny because it's so hard for people to imagine. It's so hard for people to, because there's like, there's no way he could be that good. There's no way. And man, I was just so blessed that I got to see it time and time and time again. And every time I thought, oh my gosh, this guy's coming in here to train. He's going to give Hickson a hard time, or this is going to be a good. And I would just see Hickson tap him out four or five times in five minutes. I would just be like, oh my gosh, you know, shocking how, how deep, the pool goes how how high of a level you can achieve and so that was really inspirational for me knowing that man you can get to that level it's humanly possible to get to that level oh, sorry yeah, it's okay um, I, I had opportunity to interview fabio and late 90s i had to go to sao paulo with someone for like a sponsorship thing and i end up um meeting him for the first time to sit down and then the person was with me was asking because it was fairly recent a few years i think they that had trained with him so he was asking fabio like hey how was it you know and then and then he told him that you know like definitely got the worst of it and then they're like oh come on man you know like tell us you know like we we're really trying i was like dude do you think i would be bragging here that i got submitted is that something that you know anyone can say like oh yeah you know like if I'm sharing it's because it happened, it's not because I'm trying to press someone saying that, you know, I got submitted a bunch of times, you know, so uh, so it's cool statement. And I interviewed Pedro Saura, he talked about too, you know, how it was uh, impressive to, yeah. to be able to, to see that. Well, that's what's interesting, you know, all of the best guys in the world that have had the opportunity to train with Hickson kind of have very similar stories right, of how they got completely dominated, how they felt like a white belt, how they felt like they didn't know jujitsu at all. Um, it's all very similar what they, they share. And it's a lot of times just the people that haven't had that experience that are really doubtful of it. But when you have guys like Fabio Bugel, Salo, Shanji, Fabio Leopoldo, Master Pedro Sauer, um, who was it that came out? Uh, um, Paulo Filio, mm -hmm. right? It came out and said, so you know, put something in a, in a magazine about how he never had any, and this was when Hickson was already in his fifties. He said he'd never been, had anyone do what Hickson did to him. Um, so when you have all these guys that have had that experience and they're saying the same thing, you know, it kind of just reinforces like what, what I, what I saw, because people are just in disbelief when I tell them the stories. What is one of the best piece of advice that you got from Hickson that on and off the mat, it doesn't matter anything that has stuck with you? Gosh, there's so many things that what's interesting, there's so many things that he said just in passing that I think were insignificant to him. Yeah. That had a tremendous impact on me. You know, when I heard it, it was just like, 
resonated and it all of a sudden had a huge mental mental shift and like that experience of of um using his weight when he shared with me oh i was just using my weight and making it heavy that completely changed the trajectory of my my uh jujitsu i after that i dedicated i spent like 12 13 years just completely dedicated to understanding and learning how to use weight distribution from all the different positions how where to shift your weight how to place your weight to make it hard for people to move to make it difficult for people to do things um you know he told me one time guard passing uh we were i was doing a training i was a brown belt at the time and i was training with a, my, my friend that was a purple belt tall lanky guy has a really good open guard you know and i was five minutes i was trying to pass his guard and i was exhausted by the end of it and uh, i couldn't pass his guard and hickson said to me henry guard passing is just weight distribution and angles and i was like what the heck does he mean weight and then he went and passed his guard like five times in a row in like a minute and a half passed his guard five times passed his guard went back passed his guard again all different ways right but he just made it look so easy. And so that was a huge epiphany for me. Like, okay, what does he mean by guard passing is just weight distribution and angles. And so I spent years and years and years trying to understand that concept and that idea. So um, those, those, are, those are two really, really huge things, you know? Also, you know, always telling me, learn to relax, learn to not use strength, learn to uh, train like you're an old, person so i really tried to take that to heart and try to be as relaxed and effortless as possible um and that i found has just makes such a dramatic impact not just in your energy conservation mm -hmm. but the ability for other people to control you so um you know i talk about that a lot in my videos the more you learn to relax the harder it is for someone to control you meaning that a lot of times what people are trying to do in jujitsu is they're trying to move or manipulate your body, right? They're trying to push you or move or manipulate you. So if you become tense and rigid, like a statue, if they move one part of you, they can move all of you, right? So if I grab your hand and I pull you, your whole body moves. If I grab your leg and I pull you and you're stiff and rigid, your whole body moves. But if you become relaxed, they move your arm, your arm moves, but it doesn't affect the rest of your body. And so just that principle too made a huge impact on, you know, on people's ability to control me. Very cool. Let's talk about his mindset. Did you notice um, shift in his mindset when he's getting ready for a competition for a fight? What, uh, besides, I know that he's really, he's huge in breathing. So I get, I guarantee that's part of his kind of like mindset preparation and breathing and stuff anything that you can say about his that you notice from his competition mindset just you know you know you would see him ramp up his level of intensity like mm -hmm. just him being very like if you've ever looked into his eyes when he's like uh fighting that look that you see um you can just see a shift in seriousness and that's something he always said he goes every time i go to fight i'm prepared to die you know, and so that's how serious he took uh, the training, his training for fighting. Yeah. What about now back to a little bit of the business? What piece of advice would you give to the younger Henry when you started to kind of do your website and start kind of, you know, really invest in the entrepreneurial side of it? Not that you want anything different, right? Everything happens the way it needs to happen. 
But if you look back, it could give a little suggestion, be like, hey, watch out for this. Because it's kind of like a, a, a good one for anyone that is starting entrepreneurship. But it's just looking at your journey and be like, huh, if I knew that before, that would be pretty handy or whatever. What do you think? Hmm. I mean, uh, one of the main things I would tell myself is just everything's going to work out, right? When I first dedicated myself to, to teaching, there were very few opportunities. You know, you didn't see, um, when I first started doing jujitsu, you didn't see guys making lots of money yeah, yeah. having schools. You didn't see that. So that was always something I was always stressed out about, you know, man, am I going to be able to make a career? Am I ever going to be able to buy a house? Am I going to be able to make a good living? Am I going to be able to provide for a family uh, doing jujitsu? Um, and it was a huge stress for me. And I, you know, now I would just tell myself, man, it's all going to work out. It's all, you know, just keep doing what you love and things will work out. I don't, are you into books or your books or podcasts or something? I love reading. Yeah. Well, a little bit of everything. Um, man, a little bit. I like history. Uh, I like, uh, a lot of self-help stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, mostly, uh, I don't like, um, mostly, um, yeah, mostly kind of self-help personal development type yeah. books. Okay. What, what is a book that comes to your mind as far as that made you an impact? Of course, it's always different topics, but sometimes there's a book during the journey that you can say like, oh man, that book when it hit me and it really opened my eyes for certain things. What is a, a book that comes to your mind? Um, one, one of the best books I've ever read is the book called The Biology of Belief, Dr. Bruce Lipton. Mm, never heard. So it's a really, really interesting book. Um, and what the premise of the book is, is, is really how your thoughts affect your biology. Um, uh, and I'll just give you a quick example. Uh, if you think about sucking on a lemon, right, a lot of times your mouth will start to water. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's no lemon there, but just your thoughts cause a uh, physiological reaction. Or if you walk into your house at night, and you think that there is some intruder in your house, right? Your heart rate starts to elevate. You start to sweat. Your hair starts to stand up. And so controlling your thoughts really has a big impact on your physiology. And so, you know, that's one of the things that was really profound for me is understanding like how it's not just the physical things, but yeah. your mental state that can affect your health, right? Big and so it's, a, it's an amazing book. It's about epigenetics and uh, one of the first guys that really started to understand epigenetics um, and the expression of your genes and how your thoughts can affect the expression of your genes. Any book on business, entrepreneurship that comes to your mind? Um, on business entrepreneurship. Uh, there's a book called The Hoops Whisperer, which was a really interesting hmm. book, awesome book that I, that I, and it's about a guy that never made it in the NBA, never really played college basketball, but is a coach to all the most elite basketball players in the world. And it was really interesting when I was reading the book because he talks about the, the drills and the things that he would do to help each player achieve their maximum potential. And he would talk about how he would see different weaknesses in their game and he would create specific mm, drills that's cool. to help them to be able to develop those aspects of their game. And so 
as a teacher, that was really, really helpful for me because I was already doing a lot of that stuff. But, um, you know, and I, a lot of it I had learned from Hickson, how Hickson would train himself, you know, uh, but that just kind of reinforced it. Like, wow, man, this guy never, he, he it was just a guy that was passionate about basketball. His name is Eden Ravine. And, um, you know, he was coaching players like Kobe and, you know, and Michael Jordan and all these other uh, huge name basketball players. Um, you know, they would hire him to be their personal coach. That's awesome. So we're getting close to the end of the interview. So I want to know what are you currently excited about? What is going on? I know that now some of the states are clearing up more. So what you got? Yeah, so I, I'm excited to start traveling and teaching again. Uh, this is the first month that I really feel like I'm back to work and back to teaching. So I'm going to be in Albany, uh, New York next week. Uh, then the week after that, I'll be in Oklahoma City and in, in Tulsa. Uh, the week after that, I'll be in St. Louis with Todd Fox. I think you interviewed yes. Todd Fox. Yes. Um, so I, I'm kind of, it's, it's nice to be back on the road teaching again and sharing my jiu-jitsu um, and also looking forward to doing some camps again here in the United States. So I'm looking to do uh, probably a camp here in Las Vegas, uh, maybe in September or October. Cool. Right on. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for your time and appreciated the, the interview. And if people, yeah, so tell me website so people can look for and learn more about you. So yeah, my website's hiddenjujitsu.com. And if people want to find me, I'm on Facebook. That's kind of where I'm the most active on Facebook. I have a fan page and a, and a personal page there. So you can just follow me, follow me on Facebook um, or go to my website, hiddenjujitsu.com is where I basically have all of my uh, instructional content, all the material, you know, for me that I just try to share all of the knowledge that I learned from Hickson uh, through my website. Awesome. And also on YouTube, my, the, my YouTube channel, Hidden Jiu-Jitsu. So I'm just starting to be a lot more active there, like you said, with the mat chats and stuff like that. Just kind of trying to share people's own personal journey and their experience and how Jiu-Jitsu has benefited their life in different ways uh, through that. Awesome. Thank you so much. And if you guys have any suggestion for content, anything, send me a message. Most of the time I'm on Instagram, it'd be easier to find me, Gustavo Dantas, BJJ. And I see y'all soon. Us. Thanks, Gustavo. Thank you. We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.